Hello, uh, I am Leia Ajayi. Uh, I'm a urology consultant from the Royal Free Hospital in London, England. I'm the moderator for the Open Channel uh, podcast series. Uh, this series is sponsored by Cook Medical on behalf of the Journal of Endourology and Endourology Society. Today, we have two distinguished uh, guests who are going to be talking on techniques on stone treatment and laser technology. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Oreo Angueri, for the head of urolithiasis at the urology department and Fadasio Huge Red Hospital in Barcelona. Welcome. Welcome, Lee. Welcome. Thank you. And Dr. Jody Antonelli, who's the Associate uh, Professor of Urology at University of Texas uh, Southwestern Medical Center. Welcome, Hello. Dr. Antonelli. Well, let's jump straight into this. This is an area of uh, laser technologies that we're all very familiar with, and we can all talk extensively on this. But I just wanted to, to start the discussion, really, in three areas we're going to be discussing um, technology to do with cystic lithopaxia of bladder stones, uh, ureteroscopy and laser of stones in the ureter, and also percutaneous uh, nephrolithotomy for kidney stone disease. So I'd like to start off with Dr. Angueri. Can you tell me what sort of laser uh, settings you use and laser fiber that you would use when dealing with these three areas of stones, please? Well, actually, uh, these three different scenarios give you the possibility to use different fibers and different settings. Uh, I will resume it uh, in, in two groups. One is the bladder and mm, kidney, and the other one, the ureter. And I separate that because I think that it's important that inside the ureter, we are not going to use high power laser uh, because we can yes. damage the ureter. But inside the kidney, if you have a good outflow through your perk axis sheet or even your, your, your ureteral axis sheet, you can use high power without any problem. And inside the bladder, of course, is again the same. If you have a good out, uh, out, outflow, you can use high power without any problem. So I adjust my, my settings always depending on the strong composition. And, and I try to use uh, the, the 550 fiber, uh, microfiber laser in the, in, the, in the kidney if I'm doing PCNL. And, and I, the same in the, in the bladder, 550 microfiber. I'll, I'll come to you. It's very interesting that you laser, um, you use laser in the kidney, but we'll come up, we'll come to that discussion in a minute. Uh, Dr. Antonelli, I, I just wondered your thoughts as to what your go-to fiber is for each of these three areas of stones, please. Um, similarly, I, I use a 500 uh, micron fiber for bladder stones, um, occasionally a thousand micron if, if it's a very hard stone. Um, and I typically do a high energy and, and a low rate for bladder stones, um, you know, trying to just kind of crack them into, into larger chunks um, that I can then evacuate out through, through a cystoscope sheath. Um, for stones in the kidney, if they're, um, you know, going to be a, a lower pole stone, uh, you know, one where I really want to rely on being able to have full flexion of, of, of the flexible ureteroscope, um, then certainly I'll use um, a 200 um, or 270 micron fiber. And then, yes. you know, depending on whether I'm going to uh, fragment or dust, I'll, I'll alter the, the energy and the rate. Um, and then for ureteral stones, if it's a distal ureteral stone, and I know I'm only going to be working, you know, in the, in the distal ureter, then I'll, I'll use a little bit larger fiber, like a 365 or um, something yeah. in that range. So you, you have a range of laser fibers you use depending on the requirements. Uh, just talking a bit about lower pole stones, do you use traditional laser fibers, uh, Dr. Antonelli, or do you use a bolt tip in the lower pole? 
So and does, if, and does it and does it make any difference, really? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, if um, if it's a stone that I, I feel comfortable that I can um, grab with a basket or a grasper and move it to, you know, displace it to an upper pole location, that's actually my fav, you know, favorite approach so that whatever fragments or dust I do generate are in a more favorable location that they can drain out of the kidney. If the stone is larger, you know, sometimes I get, I, I'm concerned that I don't want to end up having a basket engage the stone and then not being able to disengage it from the mm. lower pole. So, or if it's, you know, just very impacted in, in a calyx in the lower pole, um, then I oftentimes will use um, a, a ball tip fiber or um, actually Dr. Traxer has, has spoken on this. I'll actually take a regular 270 fiber and just cut the tip off and you get a, a lot more flexion um, through a deflected scope with, with that maneuver. Um, I don't typically use laser, um, you know, exclusively during PCNL, but if I am, you know, say in a lower pole access and I want to get to a stone in the upper pole and I don't want to make a second um, entry point percutaneously into the kidney, then sometimes the flexion that's required to get up to either like a mid pole or an upper pole calyx, uh, I'll actually find that the, a ball tip fiber or that maneuver to cut off the tip actually helps to um, be able to pass the fiber out through, through a flex scope. That's really very useful. Excellent points of technique. <laughs> Dr. Anjeri, uh, just get your thoughts on the ball tip. Uh, do you have a laser in the lower pole? And if so, what are your thoughts and techniques? Oh, so like Dr. Antonelli has mentioned, I, I would like to move it uh, just in terms of stone clearance, because uh, as she has said, if you move the stone from the lower pole to the upper pole uh, after the dusting technique or even the fragmentation technique, uh, you know that all the fragments are going to go down to the ureter easily if you move it, uh, because it's, it's, the same, it's, it's the same idea. Uh, that we have with the shock well hydrotripsy, that we are going to do shock well hydrotripsy in the inferior pole, the stone maybe can break, but they're going to stay there. So uh, my first approach is always trying to move it. But after that, uh, I use uh, I use the 272 microfiber, and, and depends on the on the on the on the stone burden and the stone composition. I try to dust or to do some fragments. If the if the stone is is big enough, I try to do a dusting technique. Um, and and if it's a small one, I can do two or three pieces and then I remove it with the basket. That's really helpful, uh, Doctor Antonelli. I just want to drill down a bit more specifically to some of our. Uh, I'm sure our audience will be most interested in. in what's what's your go-to settings? Uh, when you're dealing with bladder stones uh, and, and ureteric stones on your current laser? Do you have a high powered or low powered uh, or, uh, machine or medium powered laser machine? I guess, you know, you'd call it medium power. Right? We have a hundred watt laser um, and that's kind of our, our go-to. It's, it's interesting we're calling a hundred watt a medium <laughs> power nowadays. I mean, te the technology is moving. Say, I would say that. That's I would a say high that powered. High, yeah, I would say <laughs> hundred watts is high power. You're, okay, you're, okay. Go, you're, you're going places with 100 watts. So could yes. you please tell, tell our audience what your go-to settings, your preferred settings are for dealing with like a two centimeter bladder stone, for example? Using a laser, uh, I would use, like I said, a 500 micron fiber um, and typically have, you know, a higher, um, a higher energy and a, a lower rate. So one in 10, um, you know, uh, would be maybe where I start or two and five, and try to generate fragments that are, you know, 
a, a, a small enough size that they'll come through a, a, a rigid cystoscope sheath, um, but not actually uh, dusting, you know, dusting the stone. Um, if I'm in the ureter, um, if I if I do want to dust the stone, uh, then I'll use a lower energy and a higher rate. So I'll do something like 0.2 and 50. Um, and if I want to fragment the stone, which is actually, you know, typically in the ureter, kind of my preferred approach, um, then I'll do 0.8 um, and 8, so 0.8 joules and 8 hertz. Sometimes I'll kind of do uh, kind of an intermediate setting of like 0.4 and 50 um, okay. you know, that, that will kind of more efficiently get through and, okay. and dust and then whatever fragments are left, I'll extract with a basket. I will say for, for bladder stones, actually, you know, I, I find that it's often um, better if I can put a rigid nephroscope and use like a device that I would use during PCNL um, yeah. to, to evacuate because then you have the ability to use suction as well. I mean, sometimes that's not possible in, in men, um, but if it is possible or if it's a woman, I find that's actually a more efficient way to clear out larger bladder stones. Indeed. And do you use a normal cystoscope or do you, for example, use... Uh, the sheath for the uh, holet, for example, uh, which has a bigger uh, lumen and allows you, uh, I'm interested to know what your approach will be. So for, if I was going to use a laser, I'll use like a 25 French um, rigid cystoscope um, or, you know, uh, um, occasionally a 26 resectoscope sheath. Okay, that's very helpful. Listen, we'll talk about kidney laser in a second. Dr. Angeli, are you a duster or a buster? In the bladder, please. In the bladder, a buster, for sure. Are your laser settings, please? My um, laser settings, uh, since I have a high power laser, I, I can I can use three joules, 30 years easily to go really fast uh, and to bust. And uh, you are doing a, a mix of dusting and, and bust and fragmentation at the same time because with yeah. this energy and with this frequency, you can you can do both at the same time. Yes, that's useful. And in the ureter? Now, in the ureter, as, as I mentioned before, uh, I try to go down with the energy and even with the frequency. So I always try, I always try to, to, to laser in the middle of the stone and I can uh, I, just avoiding the, the ureteral damage. And then uh, I, can, I can work, let's say, for example, 0.8, uh, 15 hertz, just checking the, the, the stone, how it disintegrates regarding the, the stone composition, but always trying to go really, really down. Okay, that, that's interesting. Let's just move on to the kidneys. I'm interested in, you mentioned this earlier, that you use laser technology uh, in the kidney, uh, Dr. Angeri. Could, could you just tell, you know, this is not a, if I may say, common in, in some countries, and I just wanted to get your perspective, really, and how you find laser technology for dealing with large, complex stones in the kidney. Yes, yeah, so... Um... Right now, for, for a standard PCNL, that my standard PCNL is 24 French axis sheet, I can use a 550 microfiber, and, and then I can, I, can, I can do fragmentation of the main stone. It means, like, say that it has a pelvic component of three centimeters, and, and any, comp any composition, it deals with four joules, for example, 30 yards, and you, you break it so easily. And when you finish with this part with your rigid scope, then you, you switch to the, to the flexible scope to go to the different calyx to look for these different legs that the stacron had, can have. And then you change your laser fiber to uh, 272 to, to, to deal these different uh, calyxes that you need to bend the scope to, to reach the stone. That's why I, I, I feel that 
laser. It's so comfortable for me, even for a standard PCNL, because with just one energy source, you can reach all parts of the kidney. And at the same time, you can see perfectly well what you're doing because you then occupy all your working channel through, through, through the nephroscope. I mean, this is fascinating to hear. I mean, from what it sounds, it's, it sounds as though the laser technology gives you options and it gives you options to be able to access all areas in the kidney whilst you're doing uh, PCNLs. Dr. Antonelli, I just wanted your thoughts on that, whether you use laser technology in the kidney at all for percutaneous nephrolithotomy or whether you use other energy devices um, to treat your stones. So, you know, I, I primarily um, use an ultrasonic lithotripter um, for kind of my main energy source to, to, you know, break up and evacuate stones during PCNL. However, um, like I had I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I like to avoid upper pole access if I can, just because of a little bit higher risk of having to deal with a hydrothorax, or if it's a case where I'm really sure that, you know, I may run into an issue with a hydrothorax where it's, um, you know, super 11 or super 10, um, and there's an upper pole component to the stone, I, I, I then, you know, will go into a, a lower pole calyx and then um, use a flexible cystoscope and use, like I said, a, a, oftentimes the ball tip fiber or cutting the fiber tip in those situations, lasering the stone, and then I'll use kind of like pulsed irrigation to, fret, to um, irrigate those pieces down to the pelvis, then I'll put the ultrasound device back in and suction out those pieces. So I think, you know, for me, I, I'll, I'll utilize a laser when I want to avoid um, an upper pole access, or if there's, you know, a mid pole calyx, and I don't want to have a whole separate uh, percutaneous entry point into the kidney, it just gives me the uh, option to be able to clear out, you know, more parts of the kidney through one percutaneous access point. No, just I just would like to mention another interesting scenario regarding percutaneous, that is mini perk. And when yes. we are talking about mini perk, uh, we, you know, uh, we have different range of Minberg from 18 French to 14 French, even 12 French per action sheet. And there, and in that moment, high power laser, it plays a, a really important role because you can go really fast with a really small sheet and you can adapt your fragments to your per action sheet. And it's in that moment where, where it really makes sense to use high power laser inside, uh, inside the kidney when you are dealing with this mini trucks. So yeah, I completely really agree. I, I, th I think that the, the devices that exist for, you know, ultra ultrasonic or, or combination ultrasonic and pneumatic lithotripsy that have tried to scale down to smaller probes, I don't think they're nearly as efficient as using a laser and just the evacuation, um, you know, that you get through the, sh through the sheath for, for a mini PCNL. Dr. Angeli, just, just give me your thoughts on mini PCNL. Do you dust, bust, bust or do you popcorn or combination? So, it's a combination of, of, of everything. So it depends if it, I'm doing 18 French or 14 French. For example, because with the 14 French, I'm using a special axis sheet that has a suction itself. So I, it means that I can, suck, I, can, I can aspirate all the fragments and all the data that I'm doing. So in that case, my, my stone burden is, let's say, in between two and three centimeters. And then it's important that I can reach the, the the amount of energy I, I want, I mean, in the in the job, uh, more than than 100, 100 joules. If it's necessary, 150. I sorry, 100, 100 baht or 120 baht. If it's necessary, even more, because I had my aspiration. If I'm not working with aspiration, the only thing that I they always want is that I, I have a good outflow during the surgery, because this good outflow during the surgery gives me the the the, the idea that that the pressure inside the kidney is low. 
and even the temperature inside the kidney is really low and, and you don't have any damage related to the high power laser that you're using during all the lithotripsy with your PERC surgery. Thank you very much for that. I mean, you've made some very key points then about intrarenal pressure. This is extremely topical in the discussions that we have uh, as, as the endourologists at the moment. Uh, intrarenal pressure as well as flow. So these are key areas. Um, I'd like to move the topic on a little bit, really. And um, uh, Dr. Antonelli, I'd, I'd like to talk about flexible ureteroscopy. Do you use uh, access sheets at all when you're dealing with uh, flexible ureteroscopy? Again, to do with intrarenal pressure and, and intrarenal temperatures. I actually do use an access sheath, I would say for you know, 90 plus percent of my um, ureteroscopies uh, for renal stones. I feel number one, that it gives me the ability to be able to extract fragments more efficiently. And I tend to, for most cases, try to approach it um, with the uh, technique of trying to fragment and extract fragments um, or trying to laser and extract fragments. Um, the other advantages that I feel that, that the sheet provides that you touch on are, you know, it does help to um, keep the pressures within the kidney low. I think it helps to uh, improve the visibil visibility when you're um, within the kidney. And, um, you know, there's certainly some literature to, to talk about um, benefits with potentially lower rates of sepsis with um, lower intrarenal pressure. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you know, in situations where you're going to dust and maybe you're generating a little bit more energy, having better irrigation flow in and out could help keep the temperatures down within the kidney. And what size of access sheets do you use and why, why that particular size? Over the years, I've, I've changed, to be honest. Um, I, my go-to previously was a 12-14 access sheet. And then, you know, within the last, um, I'd say four or five years, I've actually changed in my, unless it's a very, a very large stone, like over a centimeter or centimeter meter and a half. My, my go-to is a, a, a 10, uh, 12 French access sheath. I feel like the 10, 12, um, is a little bit less traumatic, if you will, to the ureter, you know, when you're removing the sheath, um, sometimes with those larger sheets, as you, as you remove it, it the ureter really looks like it's been on stretch. It has that kind of yeah. pale white yes. appearance. And, you know, with the 10, 12 sheath, I see that less. And, um, but I feel like I, I'm not compromising the size of the fragment that I can extract or the flow that I can get within the kidney. Um, so, you know, like I said, unless it's a pre-stented patient or a patient with a very large stone burden, I'll try a 10-12 first. And I'm, I've been really happy with that. And you mentioned the 10 French. That's quite a small sheath. Um, I'm not sure what uh, flexible uteroscope you have at your disposal. It must be an even smaller uh, flexible uteroscope to allow yeah, flow. Yeah, that's a good question. So the, the, the 10, 12, so the outer diameter is 12 French. It'll accommodate um, the newer versions of um, digital ureteroscopes that are available. I use Stortz and Olympus, um, but the, 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 the like first generation digital scopes won't fit through that 12 no, French outer sheet. No, that's the case. Uh, Dr. Anjadu, your thoughts, please. Access sheath, uh, are you a fan? Yeah, I'm using I'm using more than ninety percent of my cases access sheet. I'm using also a ten twelve that in fact is a ten point seven inside, and and I and another point that for me it's important is that I pre stain my patients. Let's say eighty percent of my patients I pre stain them. I feel that they have less complications, less complication regarding sepsis after the, the surgery, and less complication regarding ureteral damage due to the access sheet. Uh, so we try to pre-stand, let's say, 80% of our flexible ureteroscopies. Dr. Antonelli, um, we've talked a little, bit, a little bit about intrarenal pressure. Uh, I wonder whether you could talk to me about your fluid management system. How are you confident that within the kidney, you're maintaining uh, a low intrarenal pressure? 
We've talked about the use of access sheets. Any other thoughts on that, please? Um, I also use a, um, a hand-controlled um, irrigation device uh, for ureteroscopy. I find that, you know, it gives kind of uh, flexibility that you can, you know, increase your irrigation manually if you need to improve your visibility um, or, you know, if you're trying to avoid uh, moving a stone or, you know, you're at a, at a infundibulum to a tight calyx and you want less pressure, then you can irrigate less. I will say that, you know, I'm at a teaching hospital. I, I work with residents and fellows. And I actually think that that hand irrigator is probably potentially um, one of the things that could cause the most damage yeah. during the case. So as uh, you know, I actually typically am the one who's controlling the hand irrigation um, because I, I think uh, that that is a, you know, something that you, you have to be mindful of. Um, but I, I find that the versatility that you get with that is, is helpful as long as it's in the right hands. That, that's fantastic. Uh, Dr. Anjeri, your thoughts on the fluid management during a ureteroscopy? Yeah, during ureteroscopy, you're, you're using also the, the, hand, the hand palm. Uh, we, we try to, to teach our residents or our, our scrub nurse with, that they, they should use it with two fingers, just two fingers so so nicely just to avoid that, this high pressure and but but yes we think that it's necessary even more if you're going to use high power less inside the kidney because otherwise you get absolutely blind during the lithotripsy and regarding pcnl i prefer to use an automatic pump because i don't have concerns re, uh, related to the pressure because i'm working in supine position and i, and I have a good outflow coming from my perk access sheet that's, that's very useful. Thank you very much. I mean, you work in a, in a specialist center uh, that has a very high volume endourology unit and having the luxury to present something is something I know that in the UK uh, we don't have. I don't know what it's like in America, Dr. Antonelli, do you have the ability to present patients and do you find it's useful to present patients? Yeah, so I think it, it you know, our, our private hospitals, um, there certainly, I think, is OR availability to do so. Um, I tend to, you know, uh, have a pretty low threshold that if I'm not able to um, get into the ureter, you know, without um, any, you know, by, by trying to do it kind of with minimal um, uh, force, then I'll have a very low threshold to stent somebody and bring them back. You know, I, I start out kind of with an, an eight, uh, 10 French dilator and kind of sequentially dilate and then, and then move on to the 10, 12 sheath. And if the 10, 12 sheath won't go, I'll actually use a nine and a half, 11 and a half sheath, um, which often will, will, um, pass when the 1012 will not. However, if I'm meeting any resistance, you know, I, I really don't um, push. And, and in those situations, then yeah. I, I would stent someone, um, yeah. uh, you know, occasionally I'll balloon dilate the ureter, but never above the pelvic brim, only distally where the, where the ureter is, you know, three layers, but our county hospital or public hospital systems in, in the U S it, it would be difficult for us to, to, to pre-stent and bring people back um, routinely just because of the availability of OR time. That's really useful. I mean, in the UK, we have the same challenge and I, I, we all work in different healthcare environments. And I, for sure, in Barcelona, uh, it's a very specialist unit, predominantly for urology. I'm really fascinated to hear this. Uh, do you actually, Dr. Angeli, do you actually go after the stone at all? Or do you always pre-stent them and bring them back another day? No, no, so we, we, we pre-stent and then we send the patient home at, and 10 days later, they come to the, to the OR to do the and flexible urethroscopy. And you're able to get access to that 10 day, they definitely come in because it's a luxury to be able to get someone yeah, in sure. two always. weeks. <laughs> yeah, always. I, yeah. I think that, that helps. And post-procedure, do you leave another stent 
and after, or you try not to put a stent That in. depends on the surgery, how it was a surgery. It depends on the on the fragments or the dusting technique and on how wide I have seen the ureter during the during the, the procedure. And sometimes I can leave just a, a external urethral catheter for the first 12 hours, let's say, and then and then I take it out with the bladder catheter after the, uh, after these first 12 hours. I mean, one of the complaints of our patients, really, about the outcome of their procedure, when you look at the quality of life, is related to stents. Stents cause them the most misery. I'm not. I'll be interested to know your thoughts and techniques, how you try to improve your patient's quality of life, having pre-stented them before urethroscopy. I welcome your thoughts on that, Dr. Angel. Well, yeah, it's, it's a really, really interesting uh, issue, and. Uh, we tr we're trying to move to silicon stents because we have seen that maybe with silicon we have two advantages, two main advantages. One of them is that it seems that the patients have less symptoms, and the second advantage is it seems that silicon have less incrustations. The other thing is we are we are doing many studies right now. We are working on in in a study with Dologes with five different brands, five different compositions and lengths. Because it's, it's also important the length of the double J that you put inside the, the patient, I think. So it's different if the, the, the distal end of the J it's in, inside just the bladder, just the, 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 the J, or it's, or, or it's crossing the midline. That, and it changes completely the symptoms that the patient can have. So it's important to, to choose properly the length that you want to leave inside the patient. So there are many, many different concepts that, that we can improve to, to improve the, the, the symptoms of our patients. And that, those are really good techniques. Uh, Dr. Antonelli, any thoughts about stents? Uh, what you do to try and reduce this? Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel like you a know, huge uh, amount of calls that we get postoperatively uh, for patients are in, with regard to stent discomfort. And I think that, you know, stents certainly are, are, are an issue. However, I think that, you know, in some ways, maybe they get more of the blame than they should when you think about, um, in, in my experience, you know, the, the, the um, symptoms that patients have when I place a stent after a ureteroscopy seem much more significant than when I place a stent after a PCNL. And so I wonder if some component of the discomfort that patients have, you know, certainly is related to the stent indwelling there, but the other part, maybe the manipulation in the ureter that's, you know, much, much higher when you perform your ureteroscopy and when you're, you know, performing a PCNL much lower. Um, so um, I, you know, we, we do a multimodal approach um, for post-operative pain control after ureteroscopy um, that tries to focus, you know, on um, pain medication, but also um, medicines to kind of target the bladder symptoms. So, you know, medicine for overactive bladder, for dysuria, um, and then, uh, you know, something to relax the ureter like an alpha blocker. Um, it, despite all of that though, I mean, it is still a, a huge issue for, for patients. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like us to move on to another area, really. I mean, the whole issue of laser technology um, is very topical for us as endourologists, and that technology continues to evolve. Uh, the whole issue of pulse modulation versus the pulse uh, length of, of the of the of your laser is something we'll be interested to, for us to to explore today. So, uh, Dr. Antonelli, could you just tell me roughly about what kind of length of pulse you use on your laser technology? Do you use short pulse, long pulse uh, when you're lasering? 
Oh, and I, I think the key is that, um, you know, a longer pulse duration is associated with more stone stabilization. So if you're going to, you know, be dusting a stone where you, you really want to keep it, um, you know, kind of as fixed as you can, um, then uh, I'll use a longer pulse duration for dusting. Um, and then, you know, even, even with fragmentation, I feel like it's helpful that it, to, to stabilize the stone, but certainly in those situations where, where I really want to have maximal, you know, contact with the laser on on the stone um, for efficiency of dusting, a longer pulse duration will give you that advantage. Do you, do you ever use sharp pulse anymore? You know, to be honest, no, like I said, I, I, I you know, almost exclusively at least begin um, a case attempting to primarily fragment. And even in those situations, I feel like, you know, having a, the um, additional stabilization of the stone is, is helpful. Thank you. Dr. Jerry, uh, I, you work in a center of excellence for stones with a huge amount of technology at your disposal. I wonder whether you can just talk to me a little bit about pulse modulation technology uh, for stones. Well, actually, pulse modulation is, is, is changing a little bit the literature because you know that with, with change of pulse modulation, we are, we are having a new, a, new, a new bubble created in the, in the laser fiber tube. And this new bubble has two main two main ideas. First one is you avoid the retrocrucian, and the and and the, and the other idea is that with this extra large bubble that it sometimes it is a double bubble, and you 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 have more efficiency during the lithotripsy. And with this pulse modulation changes, you you can go faster during the lithotripsy, and you avoid the retropulsion that sometimes you are dealing. When you are doing the little trip inside the ureter, for example, or inside the kidney, so you try to to fix the stone with the laser because the, the second bubble attaches the stone to the to the laser fiber tip, and at the same time you are you you have more efficiency uh, due to the to the this second bubble that at the same time is touching the, the the stone. So another important concept is that you can work at some 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 distance to the stone. Sometimes sometimes you you are not able to touch direct the stone with the laser fiber tips so, and you can work uh, yeah. a little bit far away, let's say two, three millimeters and you are still efficiency with this new pulse modulation. In the, I mean, this is new technology, isn't it? It's kind of a non-contact technique, which, you, which one uses. Um, can you just talk to me about some of the laser machines, uh, if you don't mind, just update us on some of the laser machines that are out there and the advantages and disadvantages of some right now we have in the market we have we have the Lemenis company uh, uh, laser behind the 20 that they have developed that the the, the Moses technology that it's not the Moses effect the Moses technology and that, and with the Moses technology they can have the contact mode and the distance mode and this is our this different shape of bubble that I was telling you and there's another new laser coming from the Quanta, Quanta company, Quanta system, that is 150 watts uh, laser. And they have this vapor tunnel or virtual basket uh, pulse modulation that it's so similar to the Moses contact and Moses non-contact uh, pulse modulation mode. And How do you find the, the, the uh, vapor tunnel or the other double, or for example, the double bubble that you sometimes get. How do you find that? Uh, so technology? yes, with the with the bubble with the bubble tunnel, you can you can feel that that you avoid absolutely the the the, the red repulsion uh, because you can feel that the, the, the stone it's 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 in the same place during the the lithotripsy. That is an important point during the lithotripsy, even in in the bladder, because sometimes in, inside the bladder, when you try to fragment, the stone is going to move a lot. Uh, in the ureter also, in the proximal ureter or inside the kidney. So this bubble tunnel allows you to avoid the retropulsion. And this is the, the virtual basket is like a, an, an extra large bubble. 
and it increases your efficiency and it's like uh, a, a, the really long pulls wide and then you can you can do this uh, uh, dusting technique more efficiently. Okay, thank you very much. I'll come back to you on this. Uh, just to have more thoughts on this, uh, Dr. Antonelli. What are your What are your thoughts? This This uh, the post modulation that's out there now with the technology. Um, and I just wonder whether to get your views on it. Whether you think this is genuine technology, or whether you are happy with the current tools you have at your disposal. Um, you know, I'll be honest. Our um, Our hospital has not, um, after kind of the, uh, you know financial analyses, has chosen not to. Uh, um, pursue one of these um, lasers that has kind of all these variable pulse um, modulation uh, options. And, you know, we've gone through trials where we par participated uh, attempting to use them. And I think, um, you know, certainly they, they have advantages. Um, I think that, um, you know, it, maybe every case you don't need that sort of um, technology, but um, certainly for, for larger stones and if the goal is to attempt to extend the um, applicability of ureteroscopy, I think there's definite advantage to, uh, to, to the ability to, to, you know, to modulate um, pulse and kind of uh, harness the, the capabilities that, that a laser can offer. Um, just to talk a bit about cost, um, do you tend to use reusable fibers or, or disposable fibers, laser fibers? Um, over the last five years, uh, both hospitals that I work at have, have shifted to um, disposable fibers, um, I think in part because of um, sterilization issues. But um, I know, you know it's some part of the um, cost discussions that came up had to do with fiber costs in addition to the actual, you know, capital cost of the unit with some of these um, newer technology lasers. Yes, and they, are, they are expensive technology, but I must say uh, very useful technology to have. And uh, so Dr. Angelic, you were still talking a bit about uh, uh, pulse modulation. I'd just like to, us to go back to that discussion. Earlier on, you were talking about different settings, having a pedal that has two where you can uh, fragment as well as uh, as well as dust at the same time. I just wonder whether you could just talk to me, talk to the, our audience a little bit more about your thoughts on the pulse modulation. And also, there is a feeling of new te laser technology, especially things like the thulium fiber laser. I wonder whether you could just compare and contrast uh, what you think um, the future is on this. So one one of the main advantages of these high power lasers are that, that the foot pedal that you have it has two positions. So it, may, it, mean, it means that you, you can have two different settings in the same in the same screen. So it means that you can dust in one part in one part and the other part you can do fragmentation. And, and let's say that regarding a dusting uh, with these high power laser and this new kind of pulse modulation, you can reach up to 100 Hertz. 100 Hertz is a high, high, really high frequency, and it's so close to the supertulium uh, effect that it's it reach the the supertulium effect. It can reach 200, uh, 200, or even 300, even 500 Hertz regarding frequency. I never have used 500 Hertz. I have used 200 Hertz uh, with the supertulium, but I can tell you that with 100 Hertz in with Holmium laser, you can have more or less the same effect like supertulium because there is a really important concept that is the peak power. The peak power that you can have with the, the holmium laser is much more superior than the, the supertulium. And the, with supertulium, you can you can dust really nicely, but you can have some problem with, with, with hard stones. And, and you are not going to have this problem with holmium laser and even, even, even less with 
high power halving laser because you can work with low amount of energy, where, but with high frequency, like 100 Hertz, that you can have with these new pulse modulation high power lasers. I mean, you make some, a very valid point about this new technology of, for example, the thulium fiber laser machines. Uh, the issue of the peak power, although this is not topical at the moment because we take it for granted uh, for homium laser, but for the thulium fiber laser, the peak power is a problem. Uh, is there a particular um, density of stones that you would avoid using the TFL fiber, the thulium fiber laser machine on uh, if you're worried about the peak power? Is there a density so, or how you do so, it? Yeah, so I, I define the stones in hard stones and soft stones. And for me, hard stones are calcium oxalate monohydrate, brucheite stones, and cysteine stones. These three, three stones in particular, you can treat it with supertulium, but you are going to see a lot of sparks during the lithotripsy, uh, a, a lot of flashes. A lot, a lot uh, of bubbles. And means, uh, yeah, and... and 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 you and you can feel that you are not the bad you are you are not advancing so quick as you can do with your homulase for sure. So for these kind of stones for sure, I would prefer homulase high power if it's possible. Thank you very much. Right, we have come to the end of this podcast, which is sponsored by Cook Medical, and on behalf of the Journal of Endourology and the Endourology Society, I would like to take I would like to thank our speakers uh, for participating in this highly informative podcast on laser techniques. Uh, Dr. Oriol Angeri, for the head of uh, urology of urolithiasis unit in, in Pudasho Puchvet Hospital in Barcelona, and Dr. Judy Antonelli, Associate Professor of Urology at uh, Southwestern Medical Hospital, uh, Southwestern Medical Center in Texas. I'd like to thank you both. Thank you very much to you and to the, and the Urological Society. Thank you very much. Thank yes, you. thank you so much, uh, and thank you for the invitation. Thank you.